Well, good morning and welcome. Um, this is a lot more than last night when there was only 15 here. So uh, this is awesome. So, there was something going on last night at 6 o'clock, our time, somewhere like 405 miles away in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Sea of Red. No. Um, so awesome to have you here. Um, Pastor Giles and uh, Angel and some of the family are up in the Black Hills, I believe, and they're doing some motorcycle riding. So um, taking advantage of a long weekend, and um, he asked me to preach. So um, you got me. So uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm, I love the opportunity to preach and to preach and proclaim his word and God's word. Uh, if we're believers in Christ, we, this is our filter. Uh, God's word is our filter. This is what we're to live on and to live by. Um, we have what I call the mission statement. Two things. We want to see people get saved. And how do we see people get saved? We share with them through the, uh, the word of God, the truth of the word of God. And then once those people get saved, we see saved people grow while reaching the next. I can remember um, when I first got saved, uh, two or three months after I got saved, uh, the campus ministry that was discipling me, the navigators, they wanted me to uh, speak at this big, like, college-age hoedown type thing around Halloween. And they wanted me to, to share. Uh, and I'm like, I'm only two or three months old in Christ. How can I? I don't know anything about the Bible. And they said, just share what God has done in your heart. And so I proceeded to talk for about an hour and a half uh, and I don't like talking in front of big people, so I just rambled and rambled and rambled. But uh, I'm hopefully uh, you see today, and I'm much better at that, and I don't ramble too much. So, uh, but we have an, uh, an awesome responsibility as pastors and elders uh, to preach the word. We know that the word convicts; it convicts us of sin, but it also releases uh, or uh, cleanses us. It it saves us, and. Uh, we're not supposed to be the captain of the love boat. Does anybody remember that show? The love boat. Uh, I'm not the captain. I don't bring everybody together so everybody can have a lot of drama. And in the end, we're all good and fine and great. Uh, you know, the, the word, uh, like I said, convicts us in, but it also saves us. And so uh, it's not, we're not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, uh, but um, we... Uh, we want people confronted with the truth, and there's only one truth, and that is through the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1 that we're in, it lays a tremendous foundation in terms of the believer's position. A tremendous foundation in terms of understanding who we are in Christ, who, what our identity is, and understanding the greatness of our resources in Christ. Perhaps no other book in the Bible is more comprehensive, more definitive, more graphic than the book of Ephesians. Paul prays two significant prayers, one in chapter 1 and another one in chapter 3. The first prayer is that God would enable the Ephesian believers and us, because remember God's word is, God, it's God-breathed, so God is, is saying this to us. Paul is talking to the Ephesian believers and us to understand the immeasurable resources that we have in Christ. This is an essential and basic Reality, and yet it seems to be lost to the church and to Christians today. I don't believe that people really fully understand what is fully theirs in Christ. We don't seem to be absorbed with Christ or enamored with Christ. We don't seem to understand what it takes to cultivate that awesome relationship that we can have in Christ. 
We don't seem to, uh, if you proclaim Christ, he should be everything to you. The radical change that Christ did in your heart should be overflowing out of you that you can't wait to tell others about what Jesus did for you. There's a partnership class that I teach that will be starting up in a couple weekends. Uh, we have the intro to the family next Sunday. That's where you find out what Mitchell Brand's about and the pastor speaks and some of the elders will speak and staff speaks. Um, but we start those classes, partnership class, uh, Bible basics, I believe, shape class. We start that the weekend after that. But I, I teach the partnership class, and that is basic biblical doctrine. We don't get real deep uh, into that, but I just share the Word of God. And I share the Word of God with people, and I, we talk about who Christ is, who God is, who, what the function of the Holy Spirit is, what is sanctification, growth in Christ. And they come away with the truth of His Word and are convicted and can't do anything but be changed by the truth. Have you ever been there? You see the truth, you read the word, you've read it so many times uh, that it didn't have an effect on you, but at that time, God uses the word to minister to your heart, and you can't do anything but be changed by it. Man always looks at the outward appearance. Man always tends to judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and that's what Scripture says, right? So I can't take any credit for the lives that are changed in that class. The word is spoken, and we know that the word has power. And the word changes lives. People have gotten saved and people have been transformed. They've walked in obedience by getting baptized because they got to know who Christ was. They knew, got to know who God is. So today we're going to spend time in Ephesians chapter 1, specifically in verses 15 through 23. And my prayer is that we are transformed by the word of God. I pray that the hearts are receptive. Anytime that I preach, and I, I know Pastor Giles has said that, Anytime he's going to preach on something, God will challenge him just like he challenges me on what I'm, we're going to preach. Challenge us first. So let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer and then we'll get to it. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the awesome time of worship. It all pointed to you and your word points to you and who you are. And I thank you that you came into my heart. You came into the heart of many here and you changed them forever. You changed our eternal destiny from a, a destiny of being separated from you for all eternity to a, an eternity uh, with you, praising you all the time, all the day long. And Lord, I just thank you for this time. I pray for your blessing upon your word. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, follow along with me to 23. For this reason I too, Paul says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul prays that we would know. He wants us to know. God wants us to know the greatness of God. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would begin to understand even greater what God has done for us. He says to believers in Ephesus, Ephesus, I see your great faith in Christ. I give thanks to God for all the saints. Now, if you've given your life over to Christ, you're a saint. We don't feel like it a whole lot, do we? I mean, each day I, I prove to myself that I belong to, I am related to Adam in sin. And so I have to go to, to God each day and confess sin, but I, am, I praise God that he cleanses me from all of my unrighteousness and he restores that communion and he does that for you. But Paul says, for this reason, and he's referring back to the verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, where it says, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You are chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. You are loved and predestined to be adopted as sons, adopted into the family of God. You are to be the praise of the glory of his grace, freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You have redemption through his blood. You have the forgiveness of your sins, your trespasses. You have received the riches of his grace, grace lavished on you. And you have the mystery of his will. He goes on, Paul goes on to talk about our inheritance. We have the Holy Spirit who seals us. And he leads us up to verse 15 and that we would understand that. We have tremendous resources in Christ. John seven thirty seven reminds us that Christ is the spiritual water to quench fully every thirsty soul. He is the living water. John 15, 5 tells us that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But then in Philippians 4, 13 says that in Christ, there is nothing that we can't do. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 3, 8 informs us that compared with the surpassing value of knowing Christ, everything else is dung or manure. Any Everything else, the worries and anxieties of the world, uh, that game last night that's done and it's manure, it got canceled anyway. So everything else is done compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, right? And then in Colossians 2, 3, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells, and therefore in him we have been made complete. We are to walk in that completeness, as verse 6 says. 2 Peter 1.3 says that in him we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. As believers, if you want to know how to live your life and be an example of Christ to others, it's all in here. You don't need to go to anywhere else. Uh, you don't need to seek out the world and its wisdom because there's really no wisdom in this world other than the wisdom of Christ. He redeemed you. He changed you. He convicted you of your sin. He took that heart of stone that you had before Christ, before you were saved, and gave you a heart of flesh. You were like a, a clay in the potter's hand. He made you righteous in his sight. Your sins were as scarlet, but he made you white as snow. From eternity past, you've been in the heart and mind of God before you were ever born. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought before you think it. Think about that one for a minute. I think about the times that my patience runs a little slow with either my kids or a coworker or uh, an athlete that I work with. Um, I'm, I'm glad God is slow to anger. 
because he's forgiven me so many times, and yet I run short on that dealing with others. And uh, he, he just is continually uh, being a forgiving God. You're not just bouncing and bumping your way through life. Whatever comes into your life, he, he will use. Whether it's trials, whether it's sorrow, whether it's pain, uh, whether it's the death of a loved one, God uses that for his glory. He uses that to grow you. We are a work in progress. That's what sanctification is. We, if we are surrendering to his will, we will be continually be transformed by his power. He wants you to stand firm. And how do we stand firm? The only way we can stand firm as believers in Christ is to be in his word and to know his word. Then he, Paul adds to that in verse 18, I want you to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You need to know how rich of an inheritance it is, what we have in Christ. What belongs to Christ is being shared with you as a believer. It is beyond our imagination. It's above our head. We can't even figure it out. We have finite minds. God has an infinite mind. It is limitless. But we have a finite mind and we have limits. So we can do nothing but trust and know his word. Trust him and know his word. And that should give us security. And that should give us confidence. It should give us hope and joy. It should cause us to love Christ even more. We are undeserving sinners. We are broken vessels. And yet God chooses us to bring glory to him and be a light into this world. So the first uh, thing that Paul wants us to know is the greatness of his plan. The second thing is the greatness of his power. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we may understand the surpassing greatness of his power. Verse 19 says, What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Paul uses four words for power in this one verse. There is power, dunamis, which is inherent power. There is working, or energia, which we get, where we get energy. It's working power. There is strength that he says, and that's iskus in the Greek, or endowed power. And there's mighty, ultimate power, kratos. He's trying to get, a point, get across the point that we have the power to evangelize. We have the power to live. We have the power to have victory over sin in our lives. We have the power to grow and to overcome those issues in our lives that uh, have built up. We have power to, uh, for Christ to knock down those walls that we build up so often. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, God's power is perfected in our weakness. We are broken vessels. We live as Christ ones, but our lives should be characterized by a continual surrender that we, so that we can become like Christ. I think of the fruit of the Spirit. All those characteristics of how we are to live. What is the fruit of the Spirit? We need to have those. We need to know what those are. We need to live those out. We need to be changed by them so that we can be an example to others. Because this world isn't going to show gentleness or faithfulness to, to each other. We have to do that. And so Christ will work in us. That same power someday will do for us what it did for Christ. It will cause our resurrection. It will cause our exaltation. The chains of death will be shattered. The shackles of sin will be broken. There is nothing in this world that can waylay the plan of God in your life. 
Well, number three is the greatness of his person. And Paul says in verses 21 and 23 that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This last part of this prayer is that people would understand how great Christ is. You don't have to fear anything. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? There is no authority, whether in heaven or earth, that is greater than Jesus. God has exalted Christ over everything. Psalm 8, 6, you make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Colossians 1, 18 says he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus is over all and through all and in all, as Ephesians 4, 6 says. Jesus is everything and is all things to you. Our only true security is in Christ. We can't be looking anywhere else but to Christ for security. I had said earlier that Ephesians is a comprehensive and definitive book, and it all points to Christ, and the Word of God points to Christ, and it says who He is and that He is who He says He is. Why do I believe Christ is who he says he is? Because there is only one true gospel. Paul in Galatians says to the churches in Galatia that he's amazed that they are going away from the true gospel. And they're going to another gospel, which isn't even really another gospel. There's only one way. One gospel that is preached is a divine accomplishment. It's what God did. Man's gospel is man's achievement. That's the gospel of man. We have to do something to add to it. It was common practice when Paul would go preach uh, in churches and lead churches and grow churches, and he'd leave and go on his missionary journeys that these Judaizers would come in and they would undermine what he was teaching. They would take away the grace that the true gospel has, and they would give tell people that they had to, yes, you can have faith in Christ, but you have to get circumcised. You have to do this. You have to do uh, things on your own. And so he would undermine that and take away, they would undermine that and take away grace. But there's only one gospel, and this is the gospel of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul said, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Why is Jesus the only way of salvation? No one else has been born of a virgin and lived a sinless, perfect life. No one else can give to me his perfect righteousness by his obedience under the law. No one else has died in my place and carried my sins far away. No one else has suffered the wrath of God for me upon the cross. No one else has reconciled me to an infinitely holy God. No one else has redeemed me out of my slavery to sin and to Satan. No one else has washed away my sins and left me white as snow. No one else has been raised for my justification. No one else is seated at the right hand of God the Father and is interceding for me on my behalf. No one else has ever done these things, not Buddha, not Allah, not Mary, not the Pope, 
not Joseph Smith, not the Dalai Lama, and certainly not me, myself, in my own strength. Jesus is the only Savior of sinners. He is our Lord. What is Jesus saying to you today? If you are a believer, he wants you to live in victory. He wants you to grow in Christ-likeness. He wants you to know who you are in Christ. He wants you to have a strong foundation, and the only foundation that we can have is in the Word of God. He is the rock. Perhaps you sit here today, and none of this makes sense. It's possible you don't have a relationship with Christ. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you today. He is prodding your heart. Today, right in your seat. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today, right in your seat. Where you're at, you can close your eyes and you can give your life over to Christ. You can repent of your sins and you can ask Jesus into your heart and you can be free. This is what this book does. It frees you from the chains. It frees you from the walls that you put up, the the expectations that people put on you. If you are desiring to please Christ, there's no other people you need to please. If you're pleasing Christ, you're living right, right? Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. You're an awesome God. I love Rich Mullins and the songs that he's written. Thank you for working in his heart. Thank you for... The worship team, thank you for those that are here today. Lord, uh, again, I just pray for uh, the Armstrong family. I pray that you give them safety and bring them back. And Lord, I pray as we go away from here today that the word uh, would go with them, that they would take your truths into their workplace, into their college classes, into their homes, because your word frees, gives us freedom. You give us freedom. You break the shackles of sin. You redeem us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. And you're dismissed. Have a great Labor Day weekend.